Alright, so this morning we're starting a new series on the book of Psalms. We're going to spend about four weeks here, it looks like. So, what I'm going to do is kind of touch on some of the Psalms, a few different types, and kind of give some hints on how Psalms are were written and how they're meant to be read so that you can get the most out of them, right? Because covering all the Psalms, it would take us the rest of our lives because there's so much there. So, and then what I'll do is throughout the year, probably sprinkle in here and there as we go along. So, we're going to start with Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is an interesting psalm because if you go to ancient texts, Psalm 2 is Psalm 1. This appears to be an introduction to the psalms. More it is than, a, than Psalm 1. And when you look at it and read through what, this, what Psalm 1 is, it makes a lot of sense that this introduces all of the Psalms. So, <clears throat> we're going to look at it as not only a Psalm, because it's written poetically, like a Psalm would be written, right? But we're going to also look at what the, what the Psalm 1 means for us as we read the rest of the Psalms. And the implications that it has as we study the Psalms, right? And I would say this, the Psalms are really important. Um, I like to finish my day, oftentimes, by reading from the Psalms. I like to start my day by reading from the Proverbs. Proverbs is an easy, easy one to start with because there's 31 of them, and many months have 31 months. So whatever day it is, like today is the first, read Proverbs chapter 1. On the second, you read Proverbs chapter 2. And here's what I guarantee you. If you did that every morning, you would start your day with godly wisdom. All right? And I like to finish my day with the Psalms because there's courage in the Psalms. There's a lot of emotional courage that's there. Right? Where David wrestles oftentimes with his emotions and the realities of life that are out of his control. Wait, that's like a lot of our lives, right? Things that seem just out of our grasp that we would love to be able to get hold of, take control of, and make work out well for others or ourselves. <laughs> and the Psalms deal with those types of things over and over and over again. So they're a good place for us to camp out for the rest of our lives, to be honest. And there's enough of the Psalms that you could, every night, open up and read something different and something totally different than what you've read the last several days in a row. Alright? Because, for instance, Psalm 1 is very encouraging. Psalm 2, very very encouraging. Then you get to Psalm 13, and David's very depressed. Right? And he says, Lord, where are you? You hide your face from me. You're nowhere to be found. I'm alone. Right? And Because he feels that way. And there are times that we feel similarly. And so it's good for us to read all of them as much as we can because we can gain from David and from God as God speaking to us through those courage for each and every day. So we're, let's look at Psalm chapter 1 and see what God has for us as we continue to look at the Psalms. So Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 starts off and says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
<laughs> I have it twice in here. So at its outset, it's pretty straightforward, right? Look, here's the one who's blessed. But it doesn't tell you what he does. It tells you what he doesn't do. Right? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. Right? This is who he isn't. It starts very similar to Jesus in Matthew 5, right, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the one who is. right. And it's going to talk about what it means to be blessed and how we can be blessed. Romans 4 verse 5 says, However, the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So this isn't work as in labor, right? This is work as in working out your own salvation, right? This is, we, we do works, but we don't do works in order to be saved. We trust God. Because God justifies the ungodly. Which is interesting because that's what Psalm 1 is going to be talking about. More than it is the godly, it's talking about the ungodly. right? Not to be like them. Romans 5, 6 says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So I think it's important for us to recognize that it's real easy for us as Christians to look at Psalm 1 and go, I'm the blessed. I'm not that person. Right? I'm not the scoffer. I'm not the unrighteous. I'm not that one. But we all were. And it's important to remember that. Right? We were all that person at one point in our lives. We scoffed, oftentimes, many of us, at Christians and what they believed and what they thought and how ridiculous it seemed right so we have to be careful how we look at Psalm 1 because not only that but if we were that person by the grace of God we've been saved and we're not to walk in their counsel right that doesn't mean we're to completely separate from them because if we were to completely separate from them we would never be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to them so that they could no longer be those individuals as well, but so that they might be blessed just as we are blessed. Our job is not to seek their counsel, right? So I think it's funny how many Christians today, particularly Christian women, right? I'm not singling out women or men, but it just happens based on my example. That's where we're going. Christian women like to watch Oprah and follow Oprah's spirituality courses, right? She offers courses on spirituality. These are Christian women. Um, that is exactly what Psalm 1 is talking about. Do not walk in the counsel of these ungodly people. She is that person, right? She's going to try and offer spiritual wisdom and insight to you that's been gleaned from her guru. Right? It's not Christian. The truth is, it's of the devil. Right? That's hard to hear sometimes. But that's what that is, and we need to separate from that. 
But if Oprah were here, we would have to embrace her with the gospel, with the hope that she might be saved. Romans 6, verses 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Oops, I didn't do two. We just got verse one. That's all right. So we have to separate from the sin, right, that we once were in. And we need to be careful because it's real easy to, as we live our lives in a secular world, to allow the sin of the secular world to infect us. Right? It's very easy to fall because they're old patterns we embraced at one time. In fact, we probably called many of those things that they're doing righteous. Right? So, for instance, today, in today's political spectrum, they fight for rights for women. Right? That's what they call it. And it's a righteous battle for women's rights. To ensure that women don't need to suffer under the hand of men. Right? And but, but what that means for them in the end is that they get to murder. Well, that's unrighteous. But they call that a righteous battle. And they see that as a good thing. That's the hard part for us, right? And when we get into these culture battles, sin has so blinded them to the truth that's right before them that they see what they're doing as righteous. It's the right thing, right? To fight for women's rights, even though the end of that is death. And not just literal but spiritual for them as well. And there's a cost they will pay, even though they celebrate it right, publicly because they have to, because it's a righteous deed. So it's a game they're playing with their own emotions, and it's so sad to watch. Um, but we have to be careful because it's easy, right? That one we don't fall back into. I picked that because that was low-hanging fruit, right? None of, But there are other things that the world embraces that are easy for us to get caught up in, to allow into our lives that we just shouldn't. Proverbs 9, verse 7 through 8 says, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Right? How many times have we tried to have that argument with someone who's unsaved and tried to convince them that what they're doing is sin? It's fruitless, right? It it rarely bears fruit. There's a set of apologetics, and, and a lot of people, a lot of scholars hold to this, and I'm fine with that. Um, and apologetics is a defense of the faith, right? How do we defend the faith? And what they say is, if you want to get people to come to Jesus, what you need to do is break away the bricks at the bottom, right, that they stand upon, and so you, 
go after these cultural mores that they've adopted these morals that are fallen the problem is is that here like this right they can't see they're fallen because they're blinded by their sin and so when you tell a a sinner right someone who is not in the faith that what they're doing is wrong they mock you so Ooh, man, I can't think of a good cultural. I have one, but it's really hard. Okay, we'll go there. Our culture says, before marriage, you should have sex to make sure you're compatible partners. Right? That's what they say. Scripture says otherwise. If you try to have that conversation with people, they think you're insane if you tell them, actually, I think that you're live sexually after marriage, if you have premarital sex, will not be as good as it would be if you were to wait. And they look at you like they're, you're insane. Except that um, scientific studies are out there that prove that's true. So they can fight with the data all day long. But they will simply go, eh, whatever, it's not true. I don't believe it. I don't want to believe it. Because they don't want to believe it. Right? People who are who live together prior to marriage have a much higher rate of divorce than those who don't. Right? We can argue over why that is and whether or not that's right and all that, but the statistics are there. Their rate of divorce in the first five years is much higher than those who do not. And so what we should be doing as a culture is telling people, don't get married prior to to don't live together prior to marriage because it's not healthy. But our culture won't do that. Instead, they encourage people to do so, which, based on their own data, makes no sense. Right? Because they can't see that truth, and so when you try to correct them, right? When you rebuke them, try to get them to see the truth, right? They insult and abuse you for it. Because they don't want to see the truth. The only way that you can get them to see the truth is by having their eyes opened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once their eyes are opened, you don't have to make them see the truth. Jesus will be the one who does it. Oh, it's the rest of Proverbs 9. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise... Right? Those who are in Jesus. And they will love you. Right? So if you correct someone who's in Christ and you do it well, and you do it right, with the right motives, right? They will appreciate the correction. The correction will be taken differently. As long as we do it well. Right? There's a way to correct people that is helpful. There is a way to correct people that is not helpful. Right? And that's... I would say, it doesn't say that, right? You can't just go and say, stop doing that, right? You, there needs to be more to it, right? There needs to be discussion about why, right? The what, how do we fix it then, right? They, you need to make sure they see it as such. That may be simply opening the scriptures and saying, hey, look, see what the scripture says? 
this is what it says you should be doing. And when they see it, they'll appreciate the truth, right? Now, maybe not right away, but in time. The rest of Psalm 1 verse 2 says, But his delight, the blessed one, right? So it says, don't do all of these things. Then it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So our delight, if you're in Jesus Christ, our delight is found in the scriptures, the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So we're called to meditate on, right? So not just reading, but to meditate, to take that in and, and have it change you, right? So camp out in a passage for a while. Stay there for some time. Really let it affect you and impact you. This is a common theme in the scriptures, right? To meditate on the law. You see it in Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 as well. Where it says, keep this book, the law, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So here's the thing, right? He says at the beginning of this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Right? So we're to be speaking it. Right? We're to meditate on it day and night. Because then we can be careful if, we, if we're speaking it, if we're meditating on it, right, then we can be careful to do what's written within it. Then we'll find prosperity and success. Prosperity not in the normal sense necessarily, right? But in the blessings that God gives to us. And what we'll find from that, the outflow of that is going to be strength and courage. Right? We will not have fear. We will not be discouraged. Because if you read these stories over and over and over and over again that are in the scriptures, what you find is in the midst of all of the junk of the scriptures, because the scriptures, all of these stories are about people's lives who are a mess. Right? If you think about those men who are the, the greatest of the Old Testament, Abraham, uh, that dude was a messed up dude. Not once, but twice did he tell his wife, 
Don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister because they might kill me. That's weird. <laughs> right? He doesn't learn his lesson. But in the midst of those mistakes that he makes, God is always faithful. Right? And when you read those stories over and over again, and you tell those stories to one another and use them to encourage each other, what happens is the fear that we have of this world, the discouragements that come our way, will become less and less. And the reason for that is we will see that God will be with us always, wherever we go. Psalm 119.24 says, Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Right? We should be seeking the scripture. Whenever we have questions, whenever we need insight, whenever we need direction, the scripture should give that. The scripture should be our guide. Romans 3.27 Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. It's real easy for us to get so wrapped up in the scriptures that we do this, we follow the scriptures in order to only do the scriptures, right? In order to say, I did X, I did Y, right? I haven't broken the first commandment, I haven't broken the second commandment, right? Um, well, that's not why you do it. Right? It's because God is faithful, and therefore we act in faith toward the, towards the scriptures. Right? We seek to follow the scriptures, not because we're told to follow the scriptures. We follow the scriptures because we know that when we do so, we'll be blessed by God. Right? Because He's faithful to bless His children. We do it because of our faith in Him. If we do it out of a legalistic rote, I have to do this just because it's required of me, right? We miss the very heart of the scriptures, right? And so, for instance, there are passages that say you shouldn't get tattoos, right? There's one, right? So does that mean Christians shouldn't get tattoos then? Well, what was the heart of the reason the passage was written? What it was is during the, that period of time that the Old Testament was being written, people would tattoo themselves with the markings of their gods. And our God says, don't do that. I don't have a mark. You are my mark. You were created in my image. You don't need some mark on you that bears my image because you are it. Right? Every time someone looks at you, they see my image in you. It may be marred because of the fall, but you are my image. Right? We are created in the image of God. He created us, male and female, in His image. And so we don't need to bear that marking. Now, that's not why people get tattooed to today. Right? It's not the reason for it. And so that law, because of the reason of that law, is no longer applicable. Now, if someone came and said, I have the mark of Vishnu 
because Vishnu owns me, that fits that passage. Right? So Christians shouldn't take the mark of Vishnu in order to show ownership by Vishnu, right? That's weird. We also, so that doesn't mean, so is it wrong then to have a crucifix put on you because Christ owns you? Well, depends on your heart, I would say. All right, and that's a harder thing to judge. And so I would, as Christians, right? We don't seek legalism, we seek freedom under the law. I would say you're free to do that, but judge first your heart. Right? Not that it's wrong, and not that it's right, necessarily. It just is. So you have to be careful. But for the most part, tattoos, eh, whatever, no big deal. Right? Even though there is a scripture that says, don't do it. Um, if we by faith go out and know that the tattoo I'm getting of a sun isn't because I worship the sun, right? Or a butterfly because you... I'm not getting a butterfly. That would be weird. But if that's what you want, right? Not because you want to worship butterflies, but because you think butterflies are great, right? Or let's say my grandmother loved butterflies, and so I wanted to get a butterfly in memory of her. There's nothing wrong with that, per se, right? And so that's okay. It's where our faith lies. That's the key. Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 says, The person, that person, the blessed one, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, so the previous verse, verse 2 says, we're to meditate on the scriptures day and night, right? The person now is said to be a tree that's planted by streams of water. The streams of water feed the roots, right? The streams of water are the word of God. If you daily feast upon the word of God, here's what will happen. In season, in time, when it's necessary, you will yield fruit. So we should be able to look at you and see the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So, that doesn't mean you go out and start a business and it will necessarily be successful. Right? But whatever you do in the Lord, right, under the power of the Spirit, will be prosperous. So, if you are led by the Spirit to encourage someone <laughs> who's not doing well or to pray for someone, right, that will bring fruit. That's what that's talking about. Matthew 15, verse 13 says, He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted, oof, I'll put this one in there, that's right, will be pulled up by the roots. Right? So God plants all of us. All of humanity has been planted by God. Right? Some will take root, others will not. They'll take root, but some will be pulled up. Because there's this clear delineation being made in Psalm 1 between the blessed one, right, and the not blessed one, even though it doesn't say that. But there's this clear delineation being made between the two. 
And so we have to be careful, right? So the water, so let me say this, what you take in, right, is important. What you feed your soul, what you feed your mind is deeply important, right? Those waters have to be have to be pure, right? They need to be clean. They need to be of the word. So whatever you put in your mind is what will come out. It it will in one way or another bear some sort of fruit. Right? So you can either put good manure in there or bad manure. Right? The problem is oftentimes it looks similar, may seem similar, but in the end is not. Right? That even means that we have to be careful of Christian literature pastors right that may be out there that we listen to because they may not be watering well i'll say right may not be clean water that they're using even fresh water living water oh that's a better phrase right based on the scriptures it may be self-help stuff that you could get from anthony robbins or anybody else in the world right that's not what you want to take in that's not what you want to have shaping your life. And so in James 1, James is an amazing book on this type of thing. James 1 verse 21 says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Right? So we have to divide what's true and false. So here's what you have to do. And it's something our culture says you should not do. You must judge people, right? You must become judgmental. Now, I think a lot of people would hear that and would just go, you're not allowed to do that. That is completely inappropriate. But they do it all the time, I guarantee you, right? We make judgments on people constantly to say we're not, that we're, you should never judge anyone is foolish. Okay? So, we would never take a group of preschool children and place over them someone who is a child molester. Right? Because we have judged that to be a foolish decision. We have judged that person not eligible to teach those children because of their past sins right and so you have to do those same things with everything that's an easy one right again low-hanging fruit right no one would argue with me not even a secular person would argue with me on that one right but if we we there there are simpler lines more gray lines that are harder to judge right what movies do you watch what books do you read? What TV shows do you watch? Right? Doesn't mean they're necessarily bad. And here's the hard part. One person may be able to watch that and another not. Simply because some people can delineate better than others in their minds what they can actually take in and what they can't and have affect their lives. Right? What music can you listen to? Okay, I have to be careful with this one. When I was younger, I 
would, after work, when I was at Wolford Hall, listen to a group called Tree Rollins. Right? I suspect no one here knows who they are. It was a heavy metal group, right? And I would get home. I would leave work and be in a great mood, right? Hey, you're going home. It's a good thing. I would get home and be angry. Not because of the traffic, because the music was angry. Right? He was an angry dude. He made angry music. And those who listened to it usually became angry. Right? Music affects me that way. I didn't even realize it and listen to this music. Right? I would put it in because it was hard beat hitting. It was good, fast paced. Right? I was jamming out to it on the way home. Um, But it was not healthy for me. I didn't see it at first though. It took me time to recognize that effect. And so I have to be careful with music in particular because music will affect me and it will change my emotions. Music can. Music can make me happy, right? It does many of us. Very few people would disagree with that. But to realize that music can make you angry, a lot of people would go, yeah, no, not me. (laughs) Yeah, but so we just don't tend to realize it, right? You have to watch. And so we have, I had to get rid of that from my life because of that reason. Doesn't mean I can't listen to metal, right? Just different kind. I had to get rid of the filth that was there because it was affecting my heart, my soul, right? And I had to make sure that what was planted within me was healthy so that what came out of me was healthy as well. There's a book out there written by a man named Malcolm Gladwell called Blink that talks about how you make decisions in, a, in the blink of an eye, in that moment. You don't have a choice to say, I need to stop and think about this. No, you have to make the decision now, right? How do you make that decision? When there's very little data, you can't really go over it. Something's going to affect how you make that decision. Right, and what you put in is going to what be what affects your decision making process. So, for instance, I can't remember if it was Harvard or Stanford, one of them, probably Stanford, did this series where they asked people to judge a picture, just and it wasn't, it was a silhouette. They did silhouettes, right? Are they good? Neutral or bad, right? That's all you did. You had three choices. And so they would put up a handgun that was a white cutout, right? It was neutral is what people said. The gun itself is neutral, right? Today, today's day and age would probably be different. But at the time, people were neutral for it. However, they put the same silhouette in the color black and it was bad, right? We have this thing in us that talks about the dark and the light. The scriptures do it, right? Before you were saved, you were in the darkness. Jesus came to show you the way to the light, right? The darkness has always been bad. The light has always been good. Who's afraid to walk outside in the daylight? Nobody. Walk outside in the dark, right? You start to look around differently because you don't know what's out there especially depending on where you live, right? You're more careful. You're more cautious at night than you are during the day because you're in the darkness. They took the same silhouette of a man's face 
and it was a white silhouette was good black was bad it didn't matter if the person taking the test was white black asian whatever it was all the same right and so those things affect us right that's an ancient reality right the light and the dark and that's not just a christian reality right if you go to buddhism the yin and yang right that white part of it is what's good in nature the black is what's bad in nature right even they recognize that the light is good and the darkness is bad right that's just something innate in humans that god has put there right that's been planted within us and so if we're going to make those split second decisions and make sure they're righteous the only way to do that on a consistent basis is to fill our minds every day with the word of god Ezekiel 31.4 says, The waters nourished it, deep springs made it grow tall. Their streams flowed all around its base, sent their channels to all trees of the field. Right? The scriptures will nourish us. Right? We feast upon the scriptures. We have to be careful. We need to be certain that we're feasting well and that we're feasting often. Right? If you were not getting... If you are not eating appropriately as a in your physical body, right, you can become sick. If you don't eat regularly from the scriptures, you can become spiritually sick. No different. Hebrews 3.13. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, right? So no different than reading the scriptures, if we encourage one another daily by the scriptures, with the scriptures, right, that will keep each one of us from being hardened by sin, right? That will keep sin at bay in everyone's life simply by encouraging one, encouraging one another with the scriptures. John 7 verse 38 says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So the more we put in us of the Word of God, right, the more of it will then flow from within us towards one another. So I want to tell you a story. When we first started attending church at Harvest Fellowship, um, we attended there a couple of weeks, and my brother committed suicide. Right, We knew no one at this church. It was a church of 3,000 we went there because nobody needed to know us. Right? No one. We could easily hide. Well, all of a sudden, I couldn't hide because I needed people. Right? I needed someone. And God put me in the lives of two men. And one of them was named Jason Roberts. And we went to, we decided to join this small group. We didn't go the first week because that was the week that my brother took his life. That next week we went, or two weeks later we went, I think it was, and we came. Jason knew, well, I don't know. J they didn't know, that's right. Mm -hmm. Jason and Deborah didn't know what had happened, right? Not yet. Ken knew. They didn't. Uh, they were unaware. And so it was our first time going to this sm small group. And it was just, it was funny because usually there was about, 
seven or eight couples that were going when we first started attending the small group. That night, it was us and one other. It was Jason and Deborah who had been believers for years and one other older couple that had been believers for years as well. Go figure that one out, right? And Jason had already made the decision that what he had wanted to do is not do the normal small group, not knowing what had happened, but to break into groups, just the women and the guys. And so we separated, and these two older men sat in front of me and said, Gary, um, for whatever reason, as we were getting ready for this evening, and Jason said, as I was praying, I felt that there was going to be something you needed to share so that we could just love on you. I don't know what that is. And so, of course, I'm like, well, um, this just happened. Right? My brother took his life. And I didn't know at the time. Jason later told me he was absolutely clueless. Right? He didn't know what to do. He was in such pain for me. And to be honest, panic. Because <laughs> he felt this deep need to minister to me. And what he did, because we talked about it months later, quite some time later. He didn't even remember what he had done. Um, all he did over and over and over again is quote scripture. Verses that came to him that God needed me to hear. Right? And that was that verse, James, right? That was John 5. He, the river of the word of God flowed from him because he had taken so much of it in throughout his life, right? That it then flowed out of him into my life. And I never heard the voice of Jason speak. I heard the very voice of Jesus speak into my life through his word, right? And they were the words I needed most desperately at that time. And so we need to be strong trees planted near rivers of water flowing into our lives constantly, which is the Word of God. Because we never know when God is going to need to use us in the lives of someone else who's desperately in pain and hurting, that those hurts and pains might be healed. right? So that He can show up in a way He couldn't otherwise. right? Jesus wasn't going to stand in front of me and speak. But He had Jason. And so Jason, as his ambassador, was able to stand in front of me and the words of Jesus were spoken. Jesus spoke through Jason that day. right? And I desperately needed that at that time in my life. But not everyone is like that, right? The, that verse says, those who are in Christ, right, basically, that's what they have. But then there's this other group that are that are not right the foolish, the the wicked, as it says, right? They're like chafe. Psalm one four says, "Not so the wicked; they're like chafe, that the wind blows away." Right? They're not rooted. They're not firm. They get blown all over the place. Right? They're inconsistent. Um, they they're aimless in life. Oftentimes, the book of Jude. Verse 12 says, These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, 
Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. Jude says these are oftentimes people in our very midst in the church. Right? The church needs to be careful. There are those who appear to be shepherds even, right? Who are only feeding themselves. Right? A shepherd more than anyone else should be taking in as much of the word as possible so that as much of the word as possible can be flowing from him into the lives of those he's been called to tend and to care for. Because that's how shepherds feed the sheep. Is by opening up the scriptures and teaching. By preaching the scriptures. <coughs> Matthew 25 talks about these people. In verse 41 he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You are accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There are those who think they are saved and are not. And they have eternal fire that's been prepared. Not for them, right? Not for humans. But for the devil, the first angel who fell, and for fallen angels. That should be scary. Job 21, verse 17 says, Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them? The fate God allots in his anger. God's anger and wrath towards sin is felt at all times. Not only in the end, but at all times. Verse 5 continues and says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Malachi verse 4, 1 talks about this and says, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Daniel 12.2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. So that's the dead. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. John 5.28-29 says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. They will come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life. All that's good is to have faith in Jesus. Those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Acts 24 verse 15 says, And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. There will come a time when all of humanity will stand before God and will be judged. All of humanity. Right? There are two judgments, the first to destination, the second for rewards and punishment. It's okay, it gets good for us though. Psalm chapter 1 verse 6 gets better. I know it's kind of depressing, right? Verse 6 reads, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. John 10, 27-29 reads, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life 
and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is the greatest hope we have. That God the Father has us in His own hand. And there is nothing that anyone can do to snatch us from His hand. So, Many right, there's a lot of phrases that we use for this once saved, always saved, right? Um, I like the phrase perseverance of the saints, right? We persevere in the faith to the end because we are held, our very souls are held by the hand of the Father. Romans 8, verse 37, verse 30 says. And those he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is all in the past tense about the present. Right? So if you've been called by God to be in him, you were predestined for being called, being justified, and being glorified. Right? No one who comes to the Father can be anything but if you come to Jesus, you are destined to be glorified. So what does this mean for those who walk away from the faith? That means they were not destined to be called, therefore they were not destined to be justified, therefore they were not destined to be glorified, therefore they were never truly believers. Because I do not believe a believer can walk away from the faith based on this verse. Right? Once you're in him, you will always be in him. You cannot be otherwise, right? If you're, you can't work your way in to the club, in essence, you can't work your way out of the club, right? You didn't do it. You didn't do anything good enough to get in. Therefore, you can't do anything bad enough to get out, in essence, right? And so you will, by nature, persevere to the end. Revelation 3, verse 5, in the letters to the churches says, The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. So Jesus says this, If you're dressed in white, if you're in Christ, he writes, the moment you're in Christ, he writes your name in the book of life, right? And that name will never be removed. Never. And there's only one who writes it and only one who can remove it. And if he's written it, he will not remove it, is what he's saying. Once it's done, it is done eternally. And so if we look back at Psalm verse one, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says... Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, sit in the company of mockers, but who does but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. We need to, as believers, live our lives in the scriptures. Because when we live our lives in the scriptures, the Lord will live his life out through us. 
right? He will live his life out in us. When we saturate our lives and our mind and our souls with the scripture, what happens then is John chapter 7, verse 38, right? We talked about it already. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, right? What flows out of us then will be Jesus. When we do that well, then we satisfy Hebrews 3.13. We will encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. And none of us then will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What's scary about this, right, this verse, is that that means that there are those who are believers who can be hardened by sin. Right? There are believers, those who are in faith, who will look no different than the world. Right? They will be saved, not because of them, but because of Jesus and their faith in Jesus. But their rewards will not be so great. Right? They will come to that first judgment of destination, and God will go heaven. Ah, what do we have here? Right, Because your works then are judged. And your works will be judged in, as in a furnace. And well, this person's, right, the one who's been hardened by sin, that person's works will burn up. And there will be nothing left for them for a reward. So we need to be careful as believers, right, to ensure that we're daily spending time in the Word so that we can ensure we're not hardened by sin, but then we can also be used by God to ensure others are not hardened by sin as well. Right? We can be used by God in a way that's a blessing. right? Because Psalm 1-1 says, blessed is the one. We're never blessed for ourselves. We're always blessed to be a blessing to others. And so that blessing of the water Right, that we take in as a tree firmly planted by the, by the waters should flow within us and then the fruit should come forth into the lives of the believers around us. Right? And that's how we should live our lives each and every day. Amen.